Welcome to the Alliance Theater Podcast. This season, we're excited to bring you the stories beyond the stage. Stories that will give you an in-depth look at those dedicated to our mission, expanding hearts and minds on stage and off. We're also going to tackle theater happenings across the season, fun insight into shows, past and present, featured artist talks, and roundtable discussions. I'm your host for today, Asada Aminkichi, your resident Spellman Leadership Fellow. Now, the voices you hear may be different, but our commitment to impactful and progressive storytelling has never been more connected. On this episode, you'll be hearing from our Director of Education, Chris Moses, and the director of our newest world premiere musical, Jamil Jude. Through this artist talk, Chris and Jamil cover the incredible book-eating boy, Jamil's current work as an artist, and his hopes for theater of the future. Hi, I'm Chris Moses, and I'm the Dan Reardon Director of Education and Associate Artistic Director at the Alliance Theater, and I am thrilled to be here with the director of our upcoming production, The Incredible Book Eating Boy, and one of the leading uh, theater artists in Atlanta, the artistic director of Kenny Leon's True Colors Theater, Mr. Jamil Jude. Chris, thanks for having me. All right, let's get to it. Um, so let's, uh, I'd love people to know how you got started in theater. I know you have a pretty interesting path into this art form. Yeah, you know, sometimes I feel like I'm a little bit of a late bloomer because I didn't find theater until I was in college. Uh, my freshman year, I was on the football team and uh, felt like that's what I went to university to do was play ball. But I got hurt my freshman year and another uh, athlete from Atlanta said, hey, I've written this play. And it was about racial tensions in the South and it was a new play. And at the time, uh, growing to a predominantly white institution in upstate New York, I didn't really feel like I had a voice. Uh, as someone who understood what it meant to be black, but I think I was trying to explain that to other people. Mm. And I found in theater, here's an opportunity to have people just listen and that you could find a new way to communicate with people that didn't feel as didactic as classroom dialogue. So I got bit by the bug in my freshman year. I started writing by my junior year. Um, by the time I graduated, I was looking for a professional opportunity. So I had to be a playwright or a director or a producer. Uh, and I got my start at Arena Stage in Washington, D.C. And you know, like they say, the rest is history. So do you still write plays too? Uh, I wish I had the time. You know, what I, what I love about professional playwrights, right? You take time. Uh, you need to have something that you want to tell a story about. And writing is all about rewriting. I just don't know that I've had the time and the interest all at the same yeah. <laughs> moment. Um, and the, the craft of playwriting. Uh, feels like it's a little bit above me. One day, I keep it on my bio because I say one day I'll go back to playwriting. Yeah. But oh, that's right exciting. now, it feels like producing and directing takes up all my time. Yeah. And then from Arena, where your path took you to the Twin Cities at some point. Right. Yeah. So I spent at, I spent two years uh, in Washington, D.C. Uh, and moved to Minneapolis, Minnesota to be the first ever producer in residence through the National New Play Network, NNPN. It's since grown. And now it's like, I think, 12 years later, which is crazy. Um, but I uh, spent uh, 2011 to 2017 in Minneapolis before moving down to Atlanta. And what brought you to Atlanta? You know, I, I met Kenny um, Leon during my time at Arena Stage. I had a chance to be a production assistant on a show that he was directing called Stick Fly by Lydia Diamond. 
And uh, from that moment, we kind of hit it off. Uh, we found out that we both were from Tallahassee, Florida, and that gave me a little bit of an in uh, to get to know him a little bit better. If you know Kenny, to so know that maybe you know you need a thing <laughs> to get in because uh, he could be a little bit of a sour patch kid. But um, you know that just kept us in contact, and I will say that he uh, always was available. He didn't sign up to be a mentor. Mm. He said that, but he said, here's my phone number and use it when you need it. And to his credit, whenever I needed something, I could reach out to him. And even if I stopped reaching out to him, he'd just check in on me and say, hey, how you doing? Mm. Uh, and that meant a lot to me as a young artist, that somebody who at that point was winning Tony Awards, being nominated, doing uh, his work on Broadway, uh, gave me a lot of confidence that I too could have a place in this industry. So on a normal check-in, in 2017, maybe 2016, the fall of 2016, uh, I kind of told him, I think my time in Minneapolis, my wife and I, we're kind of coming to an end, feel like we've hit our ceiling here. Uh, and he mentioned that in Atlanta, he was trying to do something different, uh, that True Colors was entering into a new era, and he wanted to know if I'd be interested in supporting him uh, in, that, in that transition. So I said, yes, uh, I'm from, again, uh, Florida. That's where I was raised. I'm from the Virgin Islands, but I was raised in Florida. And um, the opportunity to uh, go back uh, to the South, be close to home, uh, and to work with Kenny was one I couldn't turn up. Mm, I am so glad that you did, and Atlanta is so lucky that you did choose that. So, and then when did you become artistic director? Uh, so it was officially announced in 2018, but it didn't become, um, I didn't take ownership, they didn't pay me more <laughs> until, <laughs> until 2019. Uh, so August 1st, 2019, that's the day that I became artistic director. Wow, okay. and what has shifted? I mean, the whole world, the, <laughs> the entire industry, world. how do you feel yeah. it has changed since you've taken that Well, you know, I think, I think what was interesting, what True Colors was in 2017, ultimately wasn't the same organization in 2018 when it was announced. I think uh, as we started recognizing, okay, what does it mean to take over for a founder? Mm. Um, Kenny co-founded the institution in 2002, and the organization had hit 15 years. So all the things that you read about in you know, whatever theater classes that you may have taken, arts management courses, that theaters in their 15 years, that 15 to 20 year uh, time slot is a really uh, pivotal time. Mm -hmm. So we found an organization that was founder-led, that was transitioning into its 15 year, uh, founder was transitioning out, True Colors have been fairly nomadic, uh, so and I had a really deep love for new plays. Mm. So we were changing the organization, uh, not unknowingly, um, but we were starting a process, and then the world came crashing down, uh, I think about six months into my tenure. So the trajectory we were putting the organization on had to pause. Mm. I'm thankful for Chandra Stevens Albright, our managing director, and the entire staff at True Colors, because they helped us, you know, not completely uh, discard our strategic plan and the movement that we were making, but try to find ways to sustain our work through the pandemic, find ways to stay relevant while staying fiscally responsible so that we can find a way to emerge whenever we get past this mm. pandemic producing moment. Uh, I'm looking forward to what we can do on the other side, but I'm really, really thankful for what we've been able to accomplish throughout. Yeah, you've played such a leading role in generating conversations. You just had that conversation last week yeah. uh, um, about uh, representation and equity in theater. So I think you've all filled such an amazing niche in that area, too. Well, so. I appreciate it. And I do want to shout out Brandel Jones, who's our director of connectivity. Uh, he's just really done some amazing work in making sure that when True Colors establishes community partnerships, that they are authentic mm. and that we revisit them and that, you know, nothing feels like it is just for the moment 
moment. Uh, everything feels like it is in alignment with our vision to thrive at the intersection of artistic excellence and civic engagement. Yeah, excellent. So let's shift to this project you're working on for a minute. Um, it's pretty different than what you would produce <laughs> at True yeah. Colors. Yeah. I'm curious, what drew you to the incredible book-eating boy? Well, you know, I, I think uh, I used to, in the beginning of my career, have these five Ps for a job, um, you know, why I would choose a job. And it was about the play and the place and the people and the pay um, and the prestige <laughs> of the organization. And, you know, anytime you get a call from you and from the friends here at the Alliance, you have to take that because it definitely satisfies so many of those. But I'm also thinking about the producing schedule at True Colors, but also now as a parent, now mm. as a parent of two uh, young girls, I started thinking about, well, what kind of art do I want to make? Um, they are really proud. My family's really proud of the work that we do at True Colors. And also, here's an opportunity to bring more young people into the theater. It wasn't something that I found interest in. I think when I was my journey, my uh, four-year-old, I don't know that I found interest in theater in that same way. I was more so like a meathead athlete. <laughs> um, but the fact that uh, after our first read, uh, that she was so interested uh, in it, and she yeah. wanted to get the book and all she could talk about was that. And now when the flyers are up and things like that and she sees it, she's immediately uh, calling it out. Uh, it fills me with the joy and a sense of pride that I didn't know um, that I wanted, that I would uh, get so much out of. Uh, so I think it continues to reinforce that this was the right decision. So I look forward to doing more things like this and playing in that TYA space more regularly as my kids can um, start to appreciate it more. Uh, I'm so grateful you said yes, because it was a wild time for you. <laughs> yeah. What, what, like a week before rehearsal started? You, yeah, you so I, I think I think our, uh, when you initially asked me, I think we had just found out that we were pregnant, and so we were just trying to figure out due dates and all these other things. Uh, so it felt like, okay, cool, well, my life is, I'm used to being crazy. My wife, Lauren, is used to <laughs> us managing one project, closing, and another one opening. So we thought we could do it. The baby was set to uh, come into the world on June 20th, which would have been like somewhere in our second week of rehearsal. So here we are building this rehearsal plan to make space for me to uh, become a new father again. Uh, and then, of course, uh, our daughter Genesis was born on the 9th, which was days <laughs> before uh, the first rehearsal. So in some ways, it's helped. In some ways, it's thrown everything out of whack. But again, I'm used to chaos now, yeah. um, only growing more chaotic every day. But um, it's a fun time. And uh, I'm, I'm always blessed to be able to collaborate with really smart people. And you've helped put together a really um, generous room. Mm where everybody feels like they can do their best work, and I, I feel like they're bringing their best work. So Absolutely. I think I'm so excited about the show and what you've done. Yeah. So what are you hoping folks will take from, from this show? Or what is Journey loved about it? What do you think like really lit a fire in her after seeing that workshop? Well, I think the decision you know, by Marjorie, by you, to keep a young artist, a young actor in the lead role, I think kids will have an opportunity to see somebody that looks like them. So there's something aspirational about that. Mm -hmm. uh, for those that are reluctant readers or uh, feel nervous when it comes to uh, anything around books or school or something like that, I hope that they gain a little bit more confidence mm -hmm. uh, that there are people in their lives that want to support them. If it's not their parents, if it's not their teachers, it could be their friends. Uh, there's so many uh, people in Henry, our main character's life, who wants to see him, mm -hmm. or they all want to see him do well, um, that I'm hoping that students find like, oh, you know, maybe there are more allies in my life 
there. And I, I wouldn't be doing uh, my work as someone who believes in the intersection of artistic excellence and civic engagement if I didn't also try to find ways to encourage students to see beyond uh, the classroom for more ways that they can get involved in their community. Mm, I love that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, do you mind telling uh, our audience about the composing team that you're working with as well and some of the musical choices that they have to look forward to? Oh, man. Christian Albright, Christian Magby, and music director <laughs> CBD are doing some really great work. I don't want to uh, also forget Imani, who's uh, doing some work, uh, making sure they have all the things and any changes happen, she makes sure that the sheet music responds to that. Uh, but that quattro, that, uh, that quad of artists, they are... Uh, just so smart. Mm. They are always thinking about, you know, the genre, music theater, but also comedic and also TYA. So the music feels so in line with uh, with with the genre. It is feels very fresh and contemporary, but also feels very classic in a way. Mm -hmm. uh, I've been thinking a lot of okay, what does the next life of this show look like? Because it feels like something that wants to play Absolutely. in that the entire country wants to uh, have access to. So. You're really dealing with uh, two smart uh, men in Christian Albright and Christian Magby, and uh, CBD uh, as music director has brought uh, a new life and vitality to it. And again, I'm really thankful for Imani too to make sure that those fellas uh, have all the things yeah. they need. Those songs just will not leave me alone. There's no, uh, constantly. I literally woke up at five o'clock this morning singing uh, one of the songs, Henry on the Menu. And, that's, and that is generally like, there's always that part of the process where a play in, uh, impacts your dreams and you can't shake it. Uh, and I don't mind it. I don't <laughs> mind singing in my head or in the drive. Any quiet moment, uh, those songs enter uh, into my brain and they don't get out. So. Yeah. And how about this cast, the way they've Ooh. embraced those tunes? You know? you know, what was helpful is that the same cast that we have for the production was the cast that we had in the workshop. So they were already into the spirit. They were already into creating. They are so into taking risk. Uh, they are comedic geniuses, so they're always coming up with stuff. Uh, it's a play that moves quickly. So one actor is probably playing six different characters, uh, and each time it, they find something fresh. Uh, so it makes my job really mm. simple, uh, that I just get to kind of roll out a ball and say, hey, let's play <laughs> uh, and see what happens. And I really just get to be a mirror reflecting back to them the choices, the strong choices that they make. So. You know, shout out to India's Hiree, Juan Unzueta, uh, Brad uh, Raymond, Rin McLemore, uh, and of course our young star Alex. Yeah, fantastic room. I completely agree. Um, so, since this is a different kind of show than what you're normally working on, I'm thinking about some of those production meetings, creative meetings. What <laughs> What is one thing you'd like people to know that a conversation you might not have in, say, a True Colors or Arena Stage um, production meeting? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the biggest one, just because we just left the tech rehearsal where we were trying to figure out, okay, how do we have this uh, compulsive vomit and compulsive <laughs> book eating? Like, how do we make vomit flood the stage uh, in a way that also allows us to transition to the next scene. I haven't talked about uh, throw up as much as I in in my work life as I do in my home life with two small kids. Um, but you know, I think that's the fun. I think that's the joy. Uh, theater should be uh, at least making theater. It should be joyous, right? Yeah. Like uh, we have chosen this path for several reasons. Um, and one thing that keeps me in this industry is to find that I can find joy in collaboration. Mm. Uh, so I've been really, uh, I feel blessed. Um, that the collaborators that we have, uh, whether it's a scenic team and someone like Cat or um, lighting or props, 
they keep on coming up with something new and mm. fresh and leaning in. Uh, and the professionalism by the entire shops here uh, is really top notch. So, you know, you can definitely understand why uh, the Alliance is one of the most respected theaters in the nation. And um, the definite the work of the production team uh, far um, outpaces that. Yeah, they are incredible. And I agree, like when they're having a great time, it just makes the process so much more mm. fun, you know. But these conversations about how is he going to eat a book? How is he going to swallow paper? Just so funny that these are the, the issues that are that we're spending our time dealing with <laughs> makes the whole thing really joyful um what what advice because I, I was really moved by your story about kenny showed up as a mentor at the right time for you um and and the way you talked about what you want young people to get out of this show what is some advice you'd want to give a young uh artist who's just coming up say a, a college student who comes to this late like what would you want to tell them what would you um what advice would you have to offer yeah, oftentimes, you know, when I'm asking, when uh, I'm being asked by early career artists, like, hey, what should I do? The thing I say is say yes to learn, right? You, in this moment, I talk about artists having three phases of their artistic life cycle. It's a cycle, so it's not an end game. But in that first phase, it's showcasing your skills. And that is really proving to yourself and proving to others that you know what you are talking about, mm. that the things you learned in school that you actually know how to implement, that you can take it from an academic pursuit and you can actually put it into uh, a, a practice. Um, there's time later for you to start to say no when you're exploring your aesthetic to kind of whittle down the things that you want to be good at. And then later in your career where you're really sustaining your success, uh, those are different skill sets, right? Those are different things to practice. But in that early part, when you're showcasing your skills, say yes to every opportunity, whether it's theater forward or theater adjacent. Mm. Uh, one thing I always talk about is I spent some time when I was at Arena, also to make some extra cash because DC is expensive, I worked in the telemarketing office. And at that time, we had to, you know, identify a patron that we were about to call, look at their, you know, transaction history, see what plays they've been interested in, and then try to pitch them mm. at least three plays in the upcoming season that they may like. Now I find myself pitching to funders and, and pitching <laughs> to artists and things like that, but having to figure out how mm. do I, in a short period of time, make a connection with somebody who may have some interest in what I'm offering, either historically or in the future, and I have to find a way to curtail the message to them. I think it really gave me um, some of the skills that I feel like I practice every day. Mm. Uh, and that feel, you know, somebody may look at that as, oh, I want to be a director. I don't want to spend time in the telemarketing office. And say, like, hey, communication is the key to directing, yeah. right? Yeah. So if you don't know how to speak to a diverse group of people as they may enter into your rehearsal hall or try one thing and then be forced to try something else to, uh, to connect with someone, uh, then you may not actually be as successful as a director as you ultimately want to be. So say yes to learn. Just say yes to everything because uh, you don't know what you will acquire in your toolbox mm. that may pay off a year later, years later, a decade later in your successful career. Mm. I love that and to look for surprising things. Like, yeah, like I'm sure the resilience you learn from being a telemarketer, you know, <laughs> to be able to keep going when people do not want to talk to you. Like, that's a really valuable tool in theater, I think, too, you know? Yeah, I yeah, yeah. I, I, it, it's paid off. It's paid off, I think. <laughs> and, uh, I'm really thankful. You know, again, I mentioned being from the West Indies. I think there was a work ethic that my mother instilled in me and my father instilled in me in that. And I think that was helpful, too. And, you know, and mm. I, I also encourage people to bring their full selves to the room mm. and it's going to make uh, allow you to make the most authentic work uh, so as long as you continue to show up uh, as your most full self uh, either you will find a room that appreciates that or you can impact the room in a transferable transformational way um, that uh, shifts the tone and uh, there's something extremely valuable for more 
tone shifters mm. are needed in the American theater, I think. Absolutely, and you've done it beautifully. Like, you've created a room, and every time I walk into that rehearsal room, you can tell people feel completely comfortable sharing uh, uh, ideas from every angle. So it's just a really beautiful thing to observe. So Thanks. thank you for doing that. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. So tone shifting. What? What? Let's end on a big question. <laughs> okay. What would you want to shift in? In let's Woo. let's say the entire regional theater. Let's okay. go big. What? What? Oh, uh, uh, tone shifting entire regional theater. You know, like I. Uh, I was once told, right? Like you break people up in four quadrants, and I, I, I promise I won't curse. But there's you can you can be untalented and still work if you're a nice person. You can be talented and a nice person and work, uh, and you can be maybe un you can be maybe be a talented butthole and still work, but untalented buttholes never work, right? <laughs> I think that the unfortunately the American theater has been littered with some untalented buttholes and some talented buttholes for too too long. I'd love to find a way to shift that, right? Mm -hmm. Like that we find more of a culture of belonging. There's really no reason to yell, right? Like, you know, everyone has a desire to get things done and everyone understands urgency. That's not to say that people won't have bad days. That's not to say that things don't, aren't frustrating and we can provide space. But people who are just constantly like uh, aggrieved and constantly mm -hmm. want to take that out on other people, I'd love to find a way to eliminate those types of people in this field because like, that doesn't inspire people to want to come to work. Yes. You know, we talk about all those five Ps, the place selection, it's the people. It's the place that we all come to work for. It's the ability to establish a room that more people want to feel invited to. Uh, I think that way of making art had served the American theater uh, and has gotten us to this point. So uh, I'm not interested in uh, washing away the history of it. But I think for theater, especially in the 21st century as we compete with Netflix on the daily and so many other forms of media that people want to come and they want to see a story but you can tell when you're in the audience if the thing that's on stage mm. was made with love or if the people actually care about each other it hits differently uh, you can't fake things on the live stage I think that's why we um, are so drawn to it mm. uh, so we can have more people who are in the process that are creating the work still want to be there and treat everybody uh, with the full um, complement of, you know, just humanity, mm. um, I think the work will be better. This is a two-minute <coughs> lightning round. Oh, let me get some water. Okay. Uh-oh. Mm -hmm. Oh, these Shoot. are some tough ones, too. Give you to ready? Me. You oh, ready? I don't know now. Now you said they're tough. <laughs> no. We'll see. If you weren't an artist, who would you be? Oh, um, if someone allowed me to be in the front office of a football team, uh, I'd have so much fun. I love sports. I love sports. I love sports. Uh, and I love management. Uh, so I think if I could find a way to blend that. I wanted to also, I wanted to be, I know it's lightning. I wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon because I was, I thought that was my way Ooh. to stay around sports. So I went to college to be an orthopedic surgeon. Now I'm a theater director, so <laughs> I failed at that. But uh, yeah, either an orthopedic surgeon, although I don't want to go back to school, or uh, if someone let me into their front office uh, managing a sports team. Football in particular? Or I mean, I think, it's the th I think it's the sport that I know uh, most, uh, so I probably will be most successful. Um, but, yeah, in any sport. Uh, I'd do Cactus League baseball if someone let me right now. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go off script for one. Why the Philadelphia Eagles? Oh, <laughs> thank you, Chris. Um, 
Uh, I'm a tortured Philadelphia Eagles fan uh, because of Madden 96. Uh, my mother got me that football game, and I randomly selected a team. And I remember telling her, I said, Mom, if I win the Super Bowl with this team <laughs> on franchise mode, I'll become their biggest fan. Uh, I think at that time I was a Buffalo Bills fan because my mother was a Cowboys oh. fan, and I just wanted to go against her. Uh, so I remember winning the Super Bowl uh, against the Oakland Raiders with the Eagles, and I remember walking into my mother's room and said, Ma, who are the Eagles? Because uh, now I've become their biggest fan. Uh, shortly after that, they um, drafted Donovan McNabb, and I was a young uh, quarterback, so to see someone like Donovan McNabb excelling uh, endeared me to football more, endeared me to the Eagles, and uh, I guess ever since, what is that, almost 30 years now, awesome. I've been an Eagles fan. Me too. <laughs> uh, all right, what is your go-to meal or snack when you are at work? Uh, peanut butter pretzel nuggets, those uh, mm. little, you know, small little things. Combos? I can, uh, like no, <laughs> I love a good combo, uh, but like, no, I like get them from Costco. They're like um, pretzel nuggets uh, filled with peanut butter. I could not stop eating them, mm. so those are probably uh, my favorite thing. I love peanuts. I don't actually like peanut butter, and I don't like pretzels. But those two things Combined. together are the best. Salty, crunchy, are my salty, crunchy, savory are my favorite things in food. Uh, and those peanut butter pretzel nuggets, uh, that's, it. that's it. Nice. <laughs> and what is your favorite place in Atlanta? Oh, my favorite place in Atlanta. Oh, um, <laughs> it sounds like a homer. But it's the Southwest Art Center, uh, <laughs> at, you know, where True Colors performs at. Uh, we closed the show uh, not too long ago on, uh, on July 10th, and it, the building was filled again with people who were there to see art. Uh, so when that place is filled, hmm. uh, it feels like home. It feels like everything that I wanted to do when I said, um, you know, when I started my theater journey, that I wanted to run a culturally specific arts organization. And I truly feel that there is no better culturally specific arts organization than True Colors. So when our building is full with people wanting to go see a story well told, um, that's my favorite place. Amen. Mm. Uh, and you have a great camps going there too. Yeah, so I yeah, love yeah. this. It's one of the few really multi-generational spots in Atlanta too. That's, that's really great. special. Uh, what is your superpower? Ooh. Uh, patience. Um, I think I've learned patience over the years that especially in, as a director, I think early in my career, you know, you have this vision of the show in your head and on the first day of rehearsal when everyone doesn't align to that vision, you, get, you can find yourself getting frustrated. And um, I think when I recognize that, oh, time is long. And if you allow more collaborators space, you build the container and you just allow them space to play, that they will, um, you know, outpace uh, what you had envisioned in your head. Uh, and all you have to do is remain patient. Uh, that you get paid to deliver a show by previews, by opening, mm. uh, and that you're not paid to deliver the show the second week in rehearsal. So the more patient you can be, uh, the better off things are. And uh, patience has found its way to play out in my life in so many different aspects and um, to my benefit. So mm. uh, if I had, to, you know, one is probably just my patience. And the flip side, your kryptonite. <laughs> uh, you know. <laughs> Um, I like to be friends uh, with people. I like to be friendly. Um, and I think uh, management has taught me that sometimes mm. you can't be everyone's friend. Not that you have to be mean or you have to be an enemy, but uh, you have to make decisions that affect people. Um, and oftentimes that can become uh, more difficult um, based on your relationship. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think uh, my kryptonite is a desire to want to be friendly with everybody. Uh, and also understand uh, the role that I play um, as a leader, as a manager, um, as, as a 
final decision maker and an executive. Uh, so sometimes that can be a challenge. Mm. What or who is inspiring you right now? Yeah. Um, my daughter, Journey, uh, she's great. Uh, every day she just comes up with something new, um, which is just a testament, one, to my wife and her mother, Lauren, uh, Lauren Jude, uh, for continuing just to provide a structure that allows Journey to try uh, and that we can support her in that. Um, so yeah, I would say Journey's my uh, big inspiration. She's definitely, uh, on the hard days, um, the, the reason to go and, and mm. try to do something. So. Great, and hear. she's also how I practice my superpower <laughs> on my vacation. So, <laughs> so she's inspiring that too. I can't wait for her to see the show this yeah. weekend. Yeah, she'll be there opening. All right, now this is an important one. If you could eat one book, Oof. what book would you eat? If I could eat one book, what book would it be? You know, I'm going to say In Search of Our Mother's Gardens by Alice Walker. It was a book that kind of changed my life when I found it. I believe I found it in high school. Um, uh, my teacher, Ivy Watkins, I still remember, uh, Ms. Watkins, uh, introduced it to me. Um, Alice Walker was big on womanist theology. I think it taught me differently on how to see the world. I was raised by a single black mom. Uh, it helped me understand her better uh, a little bit. And I think over the years, like I, I, the teachings are inside of me. Um, but I'd love to go and revisit it. Mm. Uh, but if I could eat it quickly so that it got <laughs> in me, uh, as opposed to having to sit and read it, you know, and, and, and find other times in my life, uh, I think I'd do that. So In Search of Our Mother's Gardens by Alice Walker. Fantastic. And is there a quote you're living by right now? If only you had eaten that book Ooh. right before this, you could have just spit it out. Um, yeah, right. Um, I'm going to get the quote wrong, and we've been laughing at it in the room because I said it right once. And everyone's like, oh, man, I like that quote. Uh, but it's the greatest amount of impact with the least amount of change. Just trying to find that thing. Uh, Valerie Curtis Newton, who was a directing mentor, another directing mentor of mine, um, you know, would always look for that. You know, okay, the play is good. What can make it great? Mm. And what can you do that shifts it, that doesn't require everybody a huge amount of change, but can have a great, final, great impact on the final product? Uh, so I've just been thinking about that a lot in my life. What's the least amount of change with the greatest amount of impact, finding more ways to succeed in that. Um, I would say that that's the quote or that's the motto mm. that I've been trying to live by. Fantastic. Al outside of fly equals fly. <laughs> All right, Jamil, thank you so much for taking Chris, the time. I appreciate that, yeah. rehearsal, and uh, we can't wait for the show. Yeah, woo, we'll get it more. Thanks again. Thanks so much to Jamil and Chris for this insightful conversation. We can't wait for you guys to see The Incredible Book-Eating Boy, now on the Hurt stage until August 14th. We've also got more great shows on the way, with single tickets for the new season now on sale at alliancetheater.org. This season, we're excited to bring you a variety of shows, including world premieres, musicals, award winners, productions for families, and more. Thanks so much for joining us for the very first episode of our new season. Until next time.